Amen. You guys, go ahead and take a seat. What a wild, crazy summer it's been. Uh, I'm really grateful for Clayton and Dustin and the amazing, amazing teachers we've had throughout the summer. Matter of fact, if you can, would you give them a round of applause again for how... Uh, it's, it's not their full-time jobs to do this, and they stepped into the gap while my family was going through some challenging circumstances, and I'm grateful for that. But I am really happy to be here again today, and if you have a Bible, and we're going through this summer in the Psalms, we're going to be in Psalm 139 this morning. So grab your Bible and meet me over in Psalm 139. Well, when you're stuck at home and, and you don't really have a whole lot to do like I did over the last nine weeks, uh, you read a lot of books. One of the more memorable books I read was a book called Everything Sad is Untrue. It was the New York Times best-selling book, I think, or the New York Times number one book last year, two years ago, and it's a memoir from a kid who was an Iranian refugee whose parents had to flee to America. The story goes that his mom came to faith on a, work trip, or on a family trip to London, and during that trip, she knew that she would have to come back and everything would change because in Iran, they have this thing called a futwa, which literally means a death sentence. It's an honor killing that because she had betrayed her family, they had to leave. Well, her husband, within the span of a week, gets remarried. She finds herself in a refugee camp in Italy. She was a doctor, mind you. And then they get transferred to Oklahoma. Okay, you think about one awful place to another. It reminds me of Ian. Ian told me that when he was getting recruited, if you didn't know this, Ian is from Bolivia. When he was getting recruited to play soccer in America, they told him that he was getting a scholarship to New York. Well, he gets off the plane in Buffalo, and he's like, this isn't the New York I saw in the movies. Well, that's had to be how Oklahoma was. They're like, whoa, 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 I think, I think you took us to the wrong place, guys. Well, at the end of this book, at the end of this memoir, on the very last page, the writer, Daniel, he writes this, and I thought it was so good, it's worth quoting for you. Listen to this. He says, imagine that you're in a refugee camp, and you know that it will be a year or more before anything happens. It's going to be a tough year. But for the person who thinks at the end of this year, I'm going somewhere to be free, a place without secret police, uh, free to believe whatever I want, to teach my children, and you believe it's going to be hard, but eventually you'll build a whole new life. That's like winning the lottery. It's like saying you were going to get $100 million at the end of this year. But if you're thinking that every place is the same and there will always be people who will abuse you and about how poor you'll be at first, the sadness overtakes you. It's like saying that you're going to get soup and sandwiches at the end of this year and that's it. Here's the thing. You'll both have the same year at Hotel Barbara, which is the refugee camp, but one of you will be looking around with joy and anticipation, wondering what you can do to prepare your kids for this new world and the other will be slumped in the courtyard, surrendered to the idea that it's all a long river of blood. I don't know which belief is true. Nobody does. But what you believe about the future will change how you live in the present. That's how she did it. That's his mom, his hero. That's how she did it. Now, haven't we all been there? Haven't we all been at the crossroads of our feelings of like, I don't know what's going to happen, and I'm really kind of uncertain how to believe about this? Again, if you're new around here, the last several months of our life was challenging. My, mom, my wife went into the hospital for seven weeks, and then our baby was born premature, and he spent a couple weeks in the NICU. Praise God, they're all home, and everybody's safe and healthy. But in that moment, we had to choose 
like what kind of perspective or what kind of outlook are we going to have on life? Right? I want to show you today that the perspective of your life is determined by what you know to be true. Maybe today you come into this room and you've been inundated or, if you will, you've been uh, taught or discipled by what you see on media. Right? Like, it doesn't matter what your preference is. Maybe it's CNN or Fox News, but every day it's doom and gloom. The outlook is awful. You look at the future and you think the stock market's going to crash. You think there's going to be another mass shooting. You think that everything is coming to an end. Well, when you're inundated by stuff like this all the time, it begins to shape how you think about the future. Maybe for others of you, you've taken your cue from Geico. Just put your head underneath a rock because, obviously, ignorance is bliss. Look, there are a lot of different ways that you can approach the, the magnitude of this world, but I want to show you that you don't have to approach it either of those ways. You can handle this world in such a way that actually gives you hope and a perspective if you know what's true. And what I want to show you today is what's true. So Psalm 139, listen to what it says. Here's what David says. He says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar you search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all of my ways. <clears throat> Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall come over me and the light about me be night, even darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Stop there for just a moment. Do you know how valuable and precious you are to God? Y'all, one of the main issues we are facing in society today is that we have devalued human life. Whether it be the ease at which we see mass shootings or the fact that we see protests, literally protesting the fact that the Supreme Court has protected the most vulnerable in our society or the way that we shame people because they don't fit neatly into our boxes. We've told boys that it's wrong to be men because they're going to grow up in toxic masculinity. We've told little girls that it's more important the way that they look than the dignity that they hold within. We have groomed an entire generation to believe that they are just a random set of molecules that accidentally collided together through natural selection, and at the end of the day, survival of the fittest is the most important thing. Regardless if you think that that's what's being said or not, that is what is being communicated. And somehow this bleak outlook on life is supposed to give us hope. It's supposed to give us security. Y'all, honestly, all it does when you devalue, devalue humanity is it leaves you in a dark place. The reality is, is all of that is wrong. It's okay to be a boy. 
And it's okay to be a girl. It's okay to be exactly who God made you to be because God made you. That's the point of this psalm. You are exactly who you are supposed to be. Every bit of you is perfectly made. What you're going to see in just a little bit is that this psalm is actually a lament, meaning that David is wrestling with the fact, do I believe that this is true? Now, ultimately, he gets there, but he's wrestling and working through, God, you made me, you hemmed me in, where are you? Well, the ultimate answer is God is everywhere. God did all of this, and that's actually what gives you hope. See, that's the context of this psalm. We don't actually know what David is going through, but we do know that he's wrestling with whether or not he believes in the goodness of God. David is sitting at the crossroads of life, the same crossroads that many of you and I are sitting at. But David, he points to what he ultimately knows to be true about God, and that shapes the direction and the destination of his life. Let me tell you three things that are ultimately true about God that will change your life. Number one is this, God is all-knowing, God is all-present, and God is all-powerful. Let me show you this. Look at this again. Look at verse 1. Oh, you, Lord, oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. David says, God, you've searched me and you've known me. What's actually interesting is the very last line of this psalm, he says the same exact thing. He says, God, search me and know me. Do you know why this is so important? Listen to me. I think that most of us struggle with whether or not we think it's a good thing that God knows us. I think some of us think it's just so shameful what we've been through that we don't want to be known by God. That's why David, he begins with, God, you've searched me and known me. And then the end, he's like, God, search me and know me. He, he's, he's doing this literary structure and in inclusio to show you that God does know you and everything about you, he still accepts. But for some of us, we want to be like Jonah. We want to run and we want to hide from the presence of God because being known by God is just too shameful. Do you know where that comes from? Remember Genesis chapter 3? Everything was good, and then Adam and Eve, they, they sinned, and it's like they said that they were naked and ashamed, and they hid themselves from God. Now, now what's preposterous about that is you can't hide yourself from an all-knowing, all-present God. And yet, that's what sin wants you to believe. It wants you to run and hide. It wants you to run and hide because it's, it's there in the isolation that Satan actually attacks you. Do you see how that's the greatest scheme of the enemy? You see, you, you think, in my shame, I can't be known by God, so I'm going to run over here. But when you run over here, you actually put yourself in the most vulnerable position possible. And the craziest part is, it's you can't isolate yourself, and yet that's what we want to do. We want to think that God doesn't want you or doesn't care about you. We want to think that, that, that your future, if you will, like the book says, is only soup and sandwiches. And yet, God knows you. He has searched you. And he still chooses you. Listen to how Paul said it in Romans 5. I love this. But God, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you, if you underline star passages of scripture, this is one of them. Here's what it says. God showed his love for you, keyword, while or as you're still, before you did anything good, you didn't earn God's affections, he just loves you. Like I got four kids. I love my kids. And half the time I just want to throw them against a wall. But I love them to death. They didn't earn my love. The moment that Keller, my son, took his first breath, he was loved immediately. The, 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 all he does is eat, sleep, and poop. 
And he doesn't do it at the right times. So I'm up all night right now, and yet I still love him. You want comfort? Here it is. The gospel is that Jesus died in your place knowing every secret thing about you, and he still chooses you. Check out verse 5. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. The language here is a war language. It's, it's one that you see whenever the, the, the enemies are hemming you in from all sides. David is wrestling with this tension of God's goodness. God, are you attacking me or are you protecting me? That's the question of life, isn't it? Y'all, isn't that the tension of life? Aren't there days when you're like, God, why can't I catch a break? What if that tension is exactly where God wants you to be? What if God wants you to wrestle, wrestle with this because then you can know that God is good? That, that there's sometimes there are just things that are too wonderful for you to understand, so you just trust. Y'all, I'm not going to lie again. The last several months have been this tension of wrestling for us. Many of you know, I just told you that my wife was in the hospital. What you don't know is that two days before my wife went in the hospital, the engine blew up on our car, and we had just come right out of, I, I preached the funeral in this room of a young lady who had taken her own life. Little, needless to say, it was one of the most difficult couple months we've ever gone through. But it was wrestling with who God is that I came to the same conclusion as David. God, your ways are just too wonderful for me. In other words, God, I don't understand what you're doing right now. I don't get it. But what I do is I trust you because like, De like Dustin said a couple weeks ago, when you can't see the hand of God in your life, you have to trust the heart of God. Psalm 139 tells me the heart of God. God is hemming me in to protect me, not to attack me. Do you know how I know that? Because none of us deserve the grace of God. David says, I can't go up to heaven because you'll be there. I can't go down to hell because you're there. God, you are everywhere. You're everywhere. God, you know my secret thoughts, and I don't deserve any of them because, listen, listen, I don't know your secret thoughts, but I know mine. And if you knew my secret thoughts, you would think, how in the world could God love a guy like that? Here's what I'm going to assume, and I think it's a good assumption, is your secret thoughts are just as bad as mine. And God knows every one of them. You can't escape from him. You can't run from him. He says, as far as the, the morning sun or the sea goes to the ends of the earth, God is there. He knows you. He is within you. And yet he still chooses you. So instead of cursing God when you don't get what you want, what if you chose to trust him when none of it makes sense? Like the great theologian Garth Brooks said, I thank God for unanswered prayers. Y'all, sometimes I think back on my life and I'm like, ugh. If you would have answered those prayers, I'd be married to another person, I'd have a different job, be living in a different place, and my life would be an absolute train wreck. What if God knows better than you do? And he's not out to get you, but he actually wants to give you something amazing himself. Look at verse 6. Such knowledge, he says, David, is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is hell, you are there. If I take the wings in the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, you are there. Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. See, God's knowledge and his presence is the most comforting thing in the world because his character and his power are unmistakable. Write this down. I say it all the time. You can measure God's love by the cross and his power by the resurrection. You want to know the character of God? 
You have a God that loved you so much that he would put on human flesh to live your perfect life. Then he would die in your place, undeserving of it. That's God's love. But God's love alone, it doesn't really matter. It's God's love and his power. He's powerful enough that he got up out of the grave, he defeated death, and he came. So now, because he's so big and so powerful, listen, there's nothing in your life that's too big for God. Even if you try to run from God, you can't. But the best part is you don't have to. I love this. Even in your darkest moments, they're not too dark for God either. See what he's saying there? They're not too dark for God. Maybe Maybe the most devastating thing the enemy has taught many of us is that you won't be good enough for God, that your past is just too dark. Can I tell you something? David, Moses, and Paul were all murderers, and God still saved them. I just don't think that you have anything in your life that's that bad. Guys, stop believing the lie that your darkest moments are too dark for God. Your darkest moment isn't too dark for God And you don't have to hide from him because he still chooses to bring you in. That's the the beauty of it. See, not only is God all-knowing, but watch this, he's all-present too. Let me show it to you. Verse 13. For you formed me. You, God, formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. See his presence there? I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. By the way, that means that he knows your past, he knows your present, and he also knows your future. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. One of the things that brought David the most amazing amount of comfort is knowing that he wasn't an accident. You realize that your circumstances in life are not accidental? Y'all don't want to get down into the rabbit trail, the weeds here, but but let, let me just state the obvious, the elephant in the room. This passage is really clear that your life did not begin when you took your first breath. That God knew you and he formed you in your mother's womb. God knows everything about you. How amazing is this? He was present in all of those moments that he formed you into the unique person that you are today. God isn't a God that just spoke and set the world in motion and backed away from it. No, he's intricately involved in every detail. There's not a hair on your head that falls to the ground without him knowing God knows it all. Sometimes I look at my my little son, my four-pound little son, and and I see, see the details of him. Like sometimes I, I'm holding it and I'm like, dude, you look just like a rotisserie chicken. But then I, then I look deeper and I see the, the eyes that look just like Addison, my daughter. And his little fingers and toes. I, I don't know if some, some of you saw a picture I put on, online on Instagram and his, his leg was the size of my finger when he was first born. And, and I think about how tiny and delicate he is and how much God knew every little detail. And then, then I watch my my wife hold him, and the way that she gazes into his eyes, it's like, it's like she gets lost in this, this beautiful little creation. And it's, it's amazing. And then, then the thought overcomes me that as much as I see the details of him, God looks and shines down on him even more. That God knows every detail about him. He notices everything because God created him. 
Like every bit of him. Y'all, there's something so wonderful about this that it's hard to even understand. That before you were ever thought about, in your parents' mind, God knew you. He was forming you before creation. Think about this. Before time, God outside of time knew exactly where you would be. Do you know what gives you value? God created you. He knows you. He created you and he set your days in motion. God knows everything about you. This is why an attack, by the way, on humanity is an attack on God himself because you were made in the image of God, which is also why we have to fight to protect that. Listen to me, God didn't make a mistake on you. It's not like there's a recall button up in heaven waiting on you because God messed up. You are on purpose. Every bit of you is on purpose. Even if you don't feel like you fit into what society says you should be, you're exactly the way that God made you. You're important. You're perfect, just the way that God made you. So let me just say, I know this is controversial, but listen, stop apologizing for the color of your skin. You don't have to feel bad because you're white or you're black. Society creates these constructs, but God made you perfectly. God's not colorblind, he's colorful. And when you get to heaven one day, there are going to be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation standing around the throne of God worshiping him, and you are exactly the way that you are on purpose. Stop letting people hold you back because of your ethnicity or your gender, and stop treating people like they are different because of something that society says is better or worse. God did not make a mistake. Here's the point. Knowing that God is present in every detail of your life will give you extreme confidence if you know the character of God. For David, his circumstances didn't determine his knowledge of God. His God determined his circumstances and how he interpreted them. Guys, that's where we have to get to as well. Listen, life isn't easy, but it is worth living. Do you know how I know it's worth living? Because even as bad as it is, we keep having kids. Think, no, 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 I know that might sound funny, but think about it. If you didn't think that there was something beautiful about this world, even as hard as it is, you would never have a kid, would you? You'd never bring them into this world, and yet you still know that there's something beautiful about it. There's something beautiful about this world because you still want to be loved and you want to love. Y'all, even in the brokenness of this world, you know that there's something better. You know that there's inherent right and wrong. So, so when you watched on TV last week as some madman walked into a parade and shot a bunch of people, and then you saw the image of a two-year-old sitting there next to his dead parents, you, you hurt. It, it's not survival of the fittest. It's not, well, humanity moves on. No, it's, there's something wrong with this, and we need to have a better way. Listen. When God formed you, he had a plan for you. I want you to understand this. What if God knew that this world would be hard and yet it was still worth living? What if that's how he thought about you? What if he knew that your life would be hard and that you would struggle and yet your encounter with Jesus would make it all worth it? What if God knew that living was way better than not existing? Guys, sometimes I think that we, we create this false dichotomy as if like either life had to be perfect or I shouldn't exist. And what if God was up in heaven saying, no, if you only knew, if you only knew the plan that I had for you, that I didn't make a mistake, 
Sometimes you just have to resign yourself to the fact that the secret things belong to the Lord and you may not understand them and yet, and yet God is good. I think about my four-year-old son. You know, I have two boys and two girls and my four-year-old son sometimes thinks that I'm the dumbest guy on the planet, right? Because he wants to do some of the craziest stuff and, and he can't understand why I would tell him no. Like he wants to play chicken with cars and with his bike on the road for some odd reason. And he doesn't understand why I'm so mean that I won't let him do it. He, he, wants to, he wants to do all these crazy things. He, he wants me to buy him video games and give him an iPhone at four. Oh, the, the craziest thing to me is he actually understands how to use a phone at four. He wants to play with fire because fire is cool. Look, my question for you is, when my four-year-old thinks that I'm dumb, is it possible that I might be a little bit smarter than he is? Like, even though he can't see it in his own little four-year-old world that I might know better than he does, and even though I'm restricting his freedoms, and he seems like there's some injustice there that I might actually know what I'm doing? If that's true, could God be infinitely smarter than you? Could there be reasons that you, in your little four-year-old mind, if you will, look up at God and you're like, God, this doesn't make sense. And God's like, son, if you only knew. If you only knew the train wreck that was ahead that I see that you can't see, you would just trust me. Y'all, what if the point is that we need to stop trying to be smarter than God and just rest in the fact that he might know better than we do? Like A.W. Tozer famously said, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. If you think that God makes mistakes, then you will question him every decision that he makes in your life. But if you understand, if you understand that he is present in every detail and he knows exactly what he's doing, then you can actually rest in his goodness. And that's where you begin to experience joy and freedom. It's not in doing whatever you want. By the way, you know this. There's no such thing as absolute freedom. There's no such thing in a life that you just do whatever you want. That life doesn't exist. Freedom is doing what you were designed to do and functioning within that reality. I've told you this before. It's like the fish swimming around in the fishbowl. If the fish looks out at the fishbowl and says, this is restricting, so I'm going to jump, he doesn't jump to his freedom. He jumps to his death because the fish was designed to be in the water. Your freedom is limited to what you're designed for. And when you start functioning outside of that original design, you don't experience joy. You experience death. And I think a lot of us know that. Listen, when you let God be God, this is revolutionary, you don't have to be. Right? Do you know a good way to know how you think about God? Let, let, let me ask you this. When you pray, where do you assume that God is? When you pray, you close your eyes, do you pray that God is big and mighty? And, and because he's so big and mighty, your prayers are small, so he's way out there. So I'm going to pray, like most of us do, I'm going to pray to a God who's out there. Or, do you pray like God's in the room? He's with me. He's next to me. So I'm going to pray like God is literally on that chair right there, and we're going to commune together. Or, or here's another one. Do you pray like God is in you? Like the Spirit of God, you, you literally have the, the, the Spirit of the living God inside of you, and do you pray like, like, like the Lord is within you? See, how you imagine God to be when you pray actually says a lot about what you think about God. Now, now watch this, because I think this is really, really important. God is all three of those things at the same exact time. God is so big that he's out there, and yet God is so loving and kind that he'll never forsake you, so he's next to you, like Jesus says in Matthew 28, and God is the God who is within. <clears throat> 
Because God is all three of these things at the same exact time, that means that he has the resources necessary to actually be able to help you. You hear what I'm saying? God is big enough to take care of your biggest problems. And yet he's kind enough to want to be involved with your problems and be with you in them. And then he's present enough to know what your problems actually are. He's not a God that's just distant and out there. He's actually within you, experiencing your life as you do it. The key is, int- is intimacy. The key is intimacy. See, David understood this. It- it's something that I don't know if many of us understand right now. It's not good theology that's going to change you. You know, who, you know what good theology, apart from relationship with Jesus, is? It's a Pharisee. It's not good resolve and grit that's going to change you. It's not suck it up and try harder and just get through this. It's communion with the living God. Y'all, God already knows you, and he's inviting you to the table to commune with him, to be known by him. This is verse 17. I love this. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. If I count them, they're more than the sand. I awake, and I'm still with you. It's like it's a dream but I wake up and it's still reality. Do you want to know the thoughts of God? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. God has revealed himself to you in the word. Some of you, a little more Pentecostal, want to say, I want to hear God speak. Read your Bible out loud. God spoke. (laughs) The number one way to to change your outlook on life is to rest in the relationship that you have with God. Guys, we talk about discipleship a lot around here, but my fear is, is that we think discipleship means more knowledge, and that misses the point. It doesn't really matter how much you know unless you have a relationship with God. Like Elon Musk, he's like the, the hit of the day right now. You might know a lot about Elon Musk. You might know that he's got a lot of money, and he told us all these and by Twitter, and he didn't do it. Like you, you might have intricate details and knowledge. You might have read a biography about Elon Musk, but let me just tell you, you don't know Elon Musk. It doesn't really matter how much information you know about a person if you don't know them. A lot of us, a lot of us know a lot about God, but David is telling you you need to know God. You need to invest in these moments where it changes your outlook on life to where you're, you're spending time in this letter getting to know him. Like you're not reading your Bible for more information, but you're reading it for transformation because you're reading it like a letter that the king wrote to you. And then you spend time in silence and reflection as you let God speak back to you. Y'all, reading the word and letting it read you is the way that you develop the deepest relationship with God. And that's what changes everything about you is when you get lost in what you know to be true. Again, this is what David is doing. He's wrestling with the tension of his circumstances. And at the end of the day, he comes to the fact, God, this is who you are. And because it's who you are, I'm going to trust you. Now now watch this, because this is fascinating. It doesn't change his circumstances. The very last stanza of this psalm, it it seems so out of place, but it actually tells you everything about the psalm. It tells you that David's wrestling. These aren't just wonderful things he's saying. They're telling you that David is actually struggling. Look at verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked. Oh, God. Obviously, the wicked are attacking him. Oh, men of blood, depart from me. Things are hard for David. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Now watch this. He's not saying, search me, O God. 
He's saying, search me, O God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David's like, God, my enemies are attacking me and you know everything and you're all present. You're all knowing. Why are you letting this happen to me? Search me. You know my heart, God. See, this is why most scholars believe that this is actually a lament, that David is actually wrestling with whether or not he believes that God is good. Y'all, do you know why I love the Bible? Because the Bible is real. This is real. I don't, am I the only person who's been here? I've been in pastoral ministry now for 14, 15 years, and I still have these days. Still have these days where I have to, do I believe that this is true? Listen, it's okay to doubt. It's just not okay to say this. And I want to tell you, you can doubt your doubts, and God's big enough to handle your doubts. Sometimes you need to wrestle with who God is because then God firms up your faith. I believe that it's in the real, raw moments of life that God can make our faith solid. See, you don't have to fake it to make it. You don't have to fake like everything's okay, because when you do that, you lose. So real quick, here are a few observations around this psalm that I think are really important. Number one is David ultimately comes around. Again, did you notice the very first thing that David says is, search me, O God, and know me, and then he says at the very end, O God... You know me, search me. You know my heart. He's saying, God, why are you letting this stuff happen to me? You've known me. You know that I walk faithfully with you. That's, by the way, that's the hardest time. Again, I, I, I've sat here sometimes and I'm like, God, I've given my whole life to you. I think I could go sell something and make a whole lot more money with a whole lot less stress. Why is this stuff happening to me? <laughs> Same thing David's saying. And yet, I don't believe that you'll ever have a solid faith until your faith is tested. Because I think at the end of it, you have to actually say, is this stuff theoretical or do I really believe it? Sometimes the most beautiful thing that God can do is let you go through your suffering so you can come out the other side leaning into him in a stronger way, knowing that God always provides. Listen, that's ultimately where David comes. David doesn't understand why God would allow his enemies to come after him. And the entire psalm is pointing to the fact that David doesn't have the ability to comprehend God. Y'all think about it. A God that is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present is a God that you're not going to be able to fully understand. Listen, a God that you can fully understand is not a God worth worshiping. You understand that, right? He's just a reflection of yourself. But a God that is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present in your life is a God that's worthy of worship, even if you can't fully understand him. So David says, again, I love this, I'm going back to it over and over again, how precious are your thoughts, O God? How vast the sum of them. If I count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. See, because I can't comprehend God, I'm going to choose to submit to him. That's the key to worship. Worship is submitting to God based on the character of God. And that's exactly what David did. Like, of course he's mad. Of course he's mad. But he never curses God. He leans in and he submits, just like Job. Job never got mad at God. He got mad with God. Listen, in this broken world, it's going to be hard, but when you choose to be mad with God and not at God, that's when God gives you a faith that can get you through anything. Number two, David, David never fought his own battles. Uh, this is, might be the most important thing you're going to get today, is for many of us, we think that when times get hard, it's our place to fight, and yet God says, just trust me. 
Did you notice no matter how hard it got, he let God fight for him? Because the God who is all-powerful, all-present, and all-good has the resources to fight your battles for you. You don't have to fight. You just have to trust. So here's the deal. No matter what the future holds, you can trust the one who holds the future. I think that's the point. Look, Look at what Paul says in Romans 8. I love this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? If God justifies, who can condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are being regarded as sheep for the slaughter. No, no. In all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't you see that this is who God is? He's holy, which means he's utterly separate, and yet he's loving. He's loving enough to save you. Like David and Paul, they recognized that there are really only two ways to live in this world. You can trust in yourself or you can trust in the God who holds the whole thing together. No matter what happens, you have a God who changed the trajectory of your life and he has the resources to help you right now. Think about it. He knew you and he loved you before you were ever known or formed, which gives you extreme, immense value. He lived your perfect life and then he raised from the dead. So what shall you fear? That's our God. That is our God. He is all of this and more. He's so big and he's so loving that he literally drives out any fear that you could have. It's like what John says, perfect love drives out fear. I used to struggle. What do you mean by that? It means if you truly trust in God, then there's nothing in this world that can drive you to fear. God is all-knowing, he's all-present, he's all-powerful. God is all-loving and he's holy. If you want to live in this world with victory, it's not found in yourself, it's not found in your circumstances, it's not found in what you can achieve on your own, it's found in a God who has already achieved it for you. Listen, guys, the cross of Jesus Christ changes your outlook on life because it shifts the direction and thoughts of your life from your circumstances to what you know to be true. When you know that God is all-knowing and in his knowledge he still accepts you, that God is all-present and he doesn't just hear you like many of us hear our spouses, you actually have the ear of God and he's powerful enough to enter in when your enemies surround you and he's loving enough that he wants to do those things, it changes everything. So the difference of a life that's lived with fear and a life that's lived with love is what you know to be true. I'm convinced That life is about making the choice to either follow Jesus or to trust yourself. 
we see in our culture what trusting ourselves does to us? What if we submitted ourselves to the one that we know to be true, like David? What if we wrestled with the tension of what we believed about God and we walked away just believing, even though our circumstances didn't change, or like Paul? What if we stared life right in the face and we said, we are more than conquerors? It doesn't really matter what you throw at me, life, because I have Jesus. See, it's the name of Jesus that makes it all possible. It's the name of Jesus that changes everything. It's not intellectual assent. It's not knowledge. It's communion. So that's what I want for City Church. That's what I want for you. Yes, I want you to know everything that there is to know about God. Listen, this is the most amazing book ever written. But I want you to know the God who wrote the book more than the information that's in it. Because the God who wrote this book loves you. He formed you. He knows you. He knitted you together in your mother's womb, and then he put on flesh and he died for you. Y'all, your circumstances may never change, but you have an unchanging God who has already told you what the end of the story will look like. So that's my, my challenge. Like David, let's worship King Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you are a good Father who knows us and loves us and still chooses us. Thank you that there is not a hair on our head that will fall to the ground without you knowing, and yet you care. God, I pray that all of us gathered in this room would, would know you, be known by you. I pray that we would not just walk through a cultural Christianity, but we would submit to you as our living king and find joy and hope in you. Jesus, would you change our lives? I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you.